Welcome to the NLP View with your host, Donna Blinston. Each week, Donna will explore how the techniques of NLP can help improve your personal and professional life. And now, here's your host, Donna Blinston. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NLP View. My name is Donna Blinston. On today's show, I'm joined by Karen Moxham, the Managing Director of the Association of NLP, a certified master practitioner and trainer of NLP, and a best-selling published author. Today we're going to discuss how NLP is used to help individuals and their families with Asperger's and sensory integration dysfunction. SID, sensory integration dysfunction, or sensory processing disorder, which is more commonly known, is a neurological disorder causing difficulties in the processing of information from our five senses, our sight, hearing, touch, smelling, and our taste. For the individuals that suffer with SID, they can sense normally, but they can't process mentally what they have seen, heard, felt, smelt, or tasted. This leads to stress or distress, and often confusion. SID can be a disorder on its own, but it can also be a characteristic of, of other neurological conditions, including autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, Tourette syndrome, MS, and speech delays. Neurolinguistic programming, NLP, provides a way to understand how we use our language to program our brains, helping us to understand how we process the sensory information and simplify it down in order to create our experiences in our minds. NLP provides explanations as to how individuals put their experience, pictures, words, feelings, and actions together, and how effective they are at achieving the results they want. Understanding patterns of behavior and beliefs that have been formed around an individual's capabilities. So I would like to welcome to the show, Karen Muxham. Hello, Karen. Hello, Donna. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Really good. Yes. How are you? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. Just getting over a cold. Apart from that, I'm fine. Oh, there's a lot going around. There is. It's one of the beauties of winter with all that cold. Uh, allegedly so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, firstly, Karen, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me today on the show. I have had many, many questions from multiple members of our audience asking both about well whether I would, whether I would actually discuss this on the show, and also how they could help it, per, how they could use um, what we discussed with NLP and how it's used for themselves personally, professionally, and then also um, for them to help with their individuals that they're looking after. So a lot of parents and also siblings that don't quite understand. Mm. So I, I do believe, well, I know what we'll, we'll discuss today will help so many people. And I have got a few questions that, you know, people have asked specifically what I ask you about. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can look forward to that. <laughs> Just to prep you before we go. Okay. <laughs> so I guess before we start, for our audience, could you tell, your, tell our audience about yourself, how you got involved in NLP and... Um, What's brought you to today, I guess? Mm. Um, well, funnily enough, the two things were, were not at all linked to start off with, although over time they have become more widely linked. Um, I got into NLP because uh, it, of an evening class. Um, it said neuro-linguistic programming, five-week introduction. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. Hadn't got a clue what it was, but decided it was either something to do with computers or it was something to do with self-development. And I thought, well, I quite like both. Um, and... That was that, really. I, when I did the introductory course, I was just completely blown away by NLP um, and the empowering nature that it had. Um, and it just seemed to 
it just seemed to decode and make sense of so many things that, yeah, some of them we do automatically. Um, and, and just understanding that was really interesting. So that's how I got into um, NLP. Um, I came across sensory processing disorder uh, when I was searching the internet to try and find out why my son was different, shall we say. Um, and I just spent hours and hours and hours trying to find out um, about the range of symptoms that he was showing um, and, and what could the explanation be. Um, was there another explanation? Um, and I think it's probably because I was, I was quite keen. I, I sort of recognized there was something that was different about Daniel. Um, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was at all. Uh, and I know that certainly through the school system at the time and everything, it was much more, um, the assumption was that I was a bad parent. Um, and, and of course, with my NLP skills and everything else, I was, I was trying everything in the book to, to, to not yeah. be a bad parent <laughs> and to make a difference to my son. Um, and, and just, you know, I, I, was, I was banging my head against a brick wall for, for months and years um, as to what was it that, that I wasn't breaking through with just my parenting skills in inverted commas. Probably a reality that loads and loads of people go through. Yes, I would very much imagine no. from other people I've talked to, um, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's very, very common. So your your searches then, what what made you recognise um, the the symptoms that your your son was experiencing as the um, sensory processing disorder? Um, well, I, I bought a book, um, one of the many things, and. and and it just started describing Daniel to a T, um, so much so that I actually sat there reading it in tears at one point, thinking, they're describing him. At last, I found something that, that seems to make sense, although I have to say it didn't make an awful lot of sense, but it was at least describing the sorts of things that he was going through and the sorts of things that I seemed to be experiencing with him. Um, and this was when he was about five or six I would think um, and he just he really seemed to struggle at school on occasions well quite a lot of the time um, and w one of the things that I really struggled with and he probably really struggled with as well was that there didn't seem to be a set a set of things that you could put your finger on that you could say yeah he always does this or he you know he, he didn't like loud noises um, and sometimes when he was confronted with a loud noise, and that could just be, I mean, you know, fireworks were definitely out, um, but also things like just being in a classroom, the chatter of 29 other children um, was, was, very, was very overwhelming for him. But sometimes he would respond by hiding, going into his shell, and sometimes he would respond by trying to beat the noise they were making. So whatever noise they were making, he would confront it and come up with something that was even noisier. And I think it was because of this very strange and not predictable set of reactions um, mm. that, really, that really got me thinking, it can't be something as straightforward as he doesn't like a loud noise um, because he's reacting in different ways. You know, is is he just very moody, or <laughs> I've I've got a teenage five-year-old, um, or is he? Is there some reason that he doesn't seem to be able to predictably cope with things that that happen in life? Mm. 
and I guess it's that it's that instinct from from a mother, I guess, that you can. I suppose some certain people will blaze, will come out with a swooping generalisation mm. that will say it's just the way he reacts to loud noises. Mm. But then you'll be able to recognise the differences in the patterns of behaviour, and or the the the, the fact that there isn't mm. a consistent pattern of behaviour. Absolutely, and I I knew I, I sort of thought to start off with it was a hearing, just a hearing related thing, um, because it was one of the things that we'd actually picked up with Daniel at a very early age that he definitely had an ear for music. Um, before he could speak, he was actually humming tunes off the radio and things like that and getting them absolutely note perfect. Um, wow. So it was sort of, it was one of those, well, this, you know, <laughs> either we've got a genius or um, <laughs> or there's something, you know, there's that, that's really interesting that he has that skill at the yeah. same time as not being able to cope with with anything except quite a narrow range of sound. And was this something that you saw through his other senses as well as hearing? Yeah, in fact, one of the strange ones with Daniel is actually um, sense of smell, would you believe? Um, and it, even now, I mean, he's he's just turned 12, and even now he will frequently complain of headache and nausea if he smells something that he's not used to, <laughs> would you believe? Oh. And it's, you know, for other Very people, exactly, for other people, they think... You know he's just being weird, um, but I know what he's relate. I know what he's referring to now when he says, "Oh, I've got one of my headaches," and it's just an inst- it's an instant reaction to something that he smells that either is something he doesn't like, or it's a strong smell, or it's something that he doesn't recognise. He hasn't smelt before. He gets a headache. So it's like it's 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 too powerful. Yeah. It's too much for him to cope with. Yeah. And that I think that's the basis of sensory processing disorders is that is that they that that the um children well i'm I'm sure adults as well um mm-hmm. that they can't they don't know how to as you said they they can do all these things, but they don't know how to process the information properly um now I don't suffer with this, so I can only sort of step into Daniel's shoes and try and imagine what it's like um but i I imagine sometimes that it must be like being in a situation where you don't have the filters that the rest of us put in place. Um, So we learn about, you know, we learn about all the the filters that we have to put in place because our senses are being bombarded the whole time. All of our senses are being bombarded the whole time. So our brain has to put filters in place so that we don't spend our entire lives just being completely overwhelmed with, with all the sensual information we're receiving. And I'm assuming that for Daniel, he doesn't have those same filters, um, so he is being bombarded with a lot more information than we would re- we would receive at any one time. So with the smelling, it would be like he can smell it, and it, it's con- there's a constant wave that's, in a way, control you know masting everything else. Yeah. So it, when we can smell something that we don't like, we kind of will either breathe through our mouths, yeah. especially as a nurse. <laughs> you breathe through your mouth. I'll, I'll, bet, you I'll tell them that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you breathe through your, your mouth, you can't smell it. It was yeah. the first tip I was given okay. from my uh, mentor in nursing. So, yeah, you learn to uh, to breathe from your mouth or to, um, in you know, have your nose facing a different way yeah. so that when you're breathing in, you, you're not in the direct flow of the the particles or whatever that are coming off the, the aroma. Yeah. So I guess we, we learn that. I suppose he, w- he wouldn't be able to 
Yeah. Whether to, to be able to do that or to know that it's something that what's annoying him is because he's smelling it. Yes, and I suspect he smells things just more strongly than the rest of us. Um, I know that I have to be really, really careful um, with if, if I get one of those um, car deodorizers or things like that, you know, or the sprays that you, you keep in the bathroom, um, because he'll sort of be wanting to get out of the car if it if it smells too strongly. Um, so it, it's things like that, that that he seems to be just very hypersensitive to. And that's, I guess, is exactly the same with his hearing? Um, I would think so, although um, as he gets older, he, he, he is doing the selective hearing, so um, I suspect it's more of a learned response because he's very good now at possibly not hearing when I'm saying it's time for bed and things like that. <laughs> so he can do those things. He's learning still. <laughs> and do you know whether this is... Um is a condition that improves with age, as as um, with your son, where he's learning new skills. Um, I suppose that is actually part of it. I think I think that's where the NLP comes in because because we have strategies and we learn to break down strategies. Um, I would think that it's not necessarily something that improves. It's something that that they learn to cope with better. Um, and in fact, you've just given me a good one with the breeze through your mouth. You know, I've jotted that down and think I'm going to I'm going to tell that to him because it's something you're right that we we probably do automatically. Um, and it's not occurred to me that I need to actually explain to him that that's one of the things he can do. Can do, yeah. I think there's there's loads of things that we that we I guess take for granted that you do automatically. Mm. So I guess for the parent, it's very much. Um, breaking breaking down how you cope so that you can give him the isolated little bits like the the nurse you you know you, you breathe through your mouth so you can't smell yeah. it that is something that i know to do yes i wouldn't have i never thought it. Yeah. it actually came i was on my first ever placement and my me and my mentor she was taking me to see a lady who had a stoma bag right and um the stoma it's straight from the ilium so it's very um very offensive smelling mm. feces mm. and as she was nose to nose look at it really and more, more or less taking it off and cleaning it and all i think is god i want to be able to be that good a nurse that i wouldn't that i would be comfortable and i'd be able to do that for my patients so yeah. that they would feel okay yeah. and she was asking me um, what things have I learnt through the placement and I'd reflected and said that one thing that really struck me that I gained a lot of respect from her was the way she was able to do that and be so close with that patient to make the patient feel comfortable and she said breathe, you breathe through your mouth, you can't smell it but I'd spent all of my <laughs> <laughs> trying to get that close oh no <laughs> and I God, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to be a good nurse. Oh, <laughs> things like that, and it is it's again because she'd not told me. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. So I get those tricks, and I think that's where the NLP comes in because it gets you to break things down. Absolutely. Look at what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, and it's a whole modelling, isn't yeah. it? You you look at what people are doing very successfully, how they do it and breaking each part down to what they see, what they hear, what they think, what they're saying to themselves. 
to start to understand how they're doing what they're doing. Absolutely, and and yes, and then giving those strategies to someone else um, who possibly hasn't been able to do that in the same way. Because um, that's definitely, I mean, there's a lot of it, you know, with Daniel, because he has Asperger's as well, um, a lot of it is, is just breaking down strategies and, and teaching him logically um, mm. things that other people do automatically. Yes. Yeah. It is. You do do things automatically mm. because because you do them and you've done them for so long, you don't think that you're doing them. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and to be honest, that's the whole, whole social panorama, isn't it? Because a lot of this, I mean, sensory processing disorder is going to affect someone socially um, rather than with anything else. And, um, and, and that's what it's all about, is this whole social aspect of things. Um, and I think that's probably why, as you said, you know, the two things often come hand in hand, the sensory processing disorders and the Asperger's autism um, you know, they they seem to fit well together. Yes, they do, they do. And I, I guess that, oh, that's why the NLP is so powerful in a whole spectrum of learning disorders or uh, disabilities because it does, it's that curiosity, the underpinning curiosity into what makes the people tick. Yes. What is happening, that wanton curiosity of, well, how and why and what if you did this and what if you did that yeah. and what did you do? It's that, that that's the beauty of NLP for me, because it's not just NLP, you know, somebody needs to be able to do a presentation well, so we'll teach them how to do a presentation well with NLP techniques. Mm. It's so much more than that, which is what I think a lot of people mis, uh, misunderstand with NLP. Yes. The foundations of NLP are its power. It's that curiosity, that, um, oh, how can I put it into words? It's that want to get into somebody else's world, yeah. find out what is actually happening for them, yeah. understand them to enable them to do things differently. Absolutely. And, and again, it's it's the presuppositions of NLP, which I think are so valuable with something like this, because as you say, it's getting into someone else's world. Um, for some people, it's understanding in the first place that not everybody has the same map of the world in the first place, because I think sometimes, um, I know before I came across NLP, um, even though I was sort of fairly open-minded, I think sometimes I just had a tendency to assume that everybody saw things in the same way that I did. Um, you know, because we can only experience, we can only directly experience what we see, hear and feel in the world. Um, and actually having that explanation um, that, well, yeah, you know, and again, it's, it's it's putting something, it's putting it into tangible words, words. That's what NLP does sometimes, is it puts something into a tangible, a tangible frame, as in, well, yes, not everybody sees things in the same way. Um, that's why the police, when they're taking statements, they know that, you know, they are going to have discrepancies between statements because people filter the information that they, that they see at the time. So, you know, you could, you could have two people walking down the street and if you ask them both at the end of that, at the end of that walk, what do they see? And they'll report different things to you, but they've both just done the same walk. It's true. Mm. It's true. I've walked through Abbey Street many a time. I only found out last week that the game comes. <laughs> Been there for years. 
Well, I know I've discovered one of the one of the strategies I need to change slightly at the moment. Having having phoned another fax number yesterday, rather than I didn't see the big phone number at the top of the page. I search out the small number, and I I have a tendency to phone people's fax machines. I've done that one many times oh. myself. Because <laughs> we presume things are going to be in a certain mm. way that we would do them. Absolutely. So having a phone number small at the bottom of the page yeah. would be where I put it, yes. on the bottom of the flyer, on a handout, on anything that I do. So why would it be at the top of the page? Yeah, in big, big letters, letters exactly. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> and that's where, I guess, the tricks are for our our, um, our children with the autism. Mm. They They will have their ways of doing things and their understanding and things that they'll look for. Yeah. They won't have the ability to... Not so much the ability, because that is something that can be developed, but they won't have that, um, I guess, that thought pattern to go and look for things somewhere else. Yeah. They they don't make that chain of, I guess it's like with your um, the learning process. Um, when you've got that, as a child, you'll touch something that's hot, mm-hmm. and it's like, oof, that's hot. Mm-hmm. And then as, as your brain develops further, you'll either, I'm not going to touch that again because it's hot, mm-hmm. but you won't think that something else like a fire mm. or the oven or the cup of coffee, that even though it's been said that it's hot, you won't th- you won't think that it's going to have the same sensory feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And then as the brain develops more, you link, okay, so hot means that sensory feeling that hurts, so I'm not going to do it when my parents tell me that's hot. Yeah. And it's that whole process and the, the joining together and so that lateral connections between different things. Absolutely, and it's the lateral connections sometimes that either that that tend to sometimes be missing um, in people with sensory processing disorders, and well, more so um, with people on the autistic spectrum, is making those lateral connections. So it's they, it's almost like they have to learn the rules for every scenario, um, you know, and and they do they they. They do think they tend have a tendency to be quite black and white about things like that, if you like. So um, it's yes, the rule is do not kiss girls or something like that. So never any girl ever, ever, ever. Um, and then you have to, as they get older, reteach them. Well, actually, it's, if this if this girl is your girlfriend, I mean, I haven't got to this stage with Daniel yet. He's only twelve. Um, but I know, you know, from talking to friends, it's then that that rule has to be has to be loosened up again and um, changed, you know, changed to something else. So for yeah. relationships and things like that. But I know, I know, I was sort of, you know, a friend of mine. They had to put that rule in place at one stage because their child was was behaving inappropriately with um, with girls. So so you know, you then put a rule in place, and then you think, oh, actually, that's not going to serve you all yeah. the way through. <laughs> then you've got to go back and undo mm. it. Mm, yes, I think. I mean, certainly, it, it strikes me that that um, from my experience with um, Daniel, that there are there are lots of rules that he makes up, and and if if there isn't a rule, he'll make one because that enables him to function more easily. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can understand that. How did how does NLP help you personally as a mother in, in dealing with this? Um, I think I think. I'd have to fall back on the presuppositions as the first, as the sort of key pivotal thing for me um, because of things like there's no failure, only feedback. 
um, you know, as a parent, especially, as, I mean, as any parent, um, but especially as a parent of, of a child with special needs, um, I really do cling on to desperately sometimes the, the whole concept of there's no failure, only feedback. Um, I mean, that's especially with something like um, a sensory processing disorder because Daniel is a fluctuating child, as they say. Um, so he he can react either by by retaliating, it's fight or flight, um, you know, and mm. he can do either. Um, and so there's there's always, there's, I'll put something in place and think, right, we've cracked that one now. Um, and that works on one or two occasions and then it doesn't work anymore um, yeah. because he's either changed the rules slightly or because he's fluctuating in his responses he'll respond in one way one time and then in a slightly different set of circumstances he'll respond in another way um, and that certainly is a big challenge um, when he's at school you know for the teachers because because they're, they're obviously needing to find a solution to a particular issue um, you know if it's around classroom behavior or something like that and certainly with Daniel, we can find a solution that will work for a while. Um, and unfortunately for all of us, uh, it's not something right. We put that in place when he was four and that's going to work until he's 18. Um, it, it, it's not like that. Um, no. and, and I think that must be incredibly challenging for teachers. Um, yes. To, to, because it, you know, that, that especially because teachers work a lot with, you know, reports and things like that. And, and, and it's very difficult to write something that the other teachers can benefit from if this is going to be this week's plan and then next week it'll have to be something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will. And especially if they're looking after um, multiple children, mm. and, and though it's, it tends to be on um, a smaller, a one-to-one or one-to-two, one-to-four kind of a ratio, but if they've got... Um, um, children with different um, different classes of special needs that are fluctuating at different levels mm. at different times of day at different responses to meals yeah. there they must be a lot that they've got to keep on in their awareness yes. I guess absolutely you can, you can learn you can learn a child but one of the things with these um, conditions is the unpredictability yeah. of it. So even when you, it might be something that they've done, that's unpredictable, but they've done before, mm. until they're doing it, mm. <laughs> yes. you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't prepare for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Think. And that's, and that's part of the, the paradox, I think, of things like sensory processing disorders and, and um, Asperger's and autism. And I think that's the thing, they're the things that make it quite hard to understand sometimes. Um, because I know, you know, I've had teachers turn around before and I know, you know, give Daniel, give Daniel Lego, um, he can focus, he can, he can shut out everything in his life except for Lego and build, you know, he's been building the model for 16 year olds since he was eight or nine. Um, and he can do that, uh, and, and demonstrate brilliant levels of focus and concentration. Um, you know, then then a teacher will say, "Well, apply that." You know, he can't focus properly in the classroom. Yeah, that's probably because either he's not. He, you know, it has to be something that he is interested in. Um, capture and and that's the challenge with children that are you know on the autistic spectrum is that they will be. It, a lot of stuff has to be done on their terms, um, which of course doesn't work very well in the education system. It 
doesn't at all, which in and of itself is a, another interview <laughs> and another conversation. Our time has flown by once again, Karen. And, well, all I can say is a huge big thank you. And would you mind sharing um, with our audience how they can get hold of you and contact you and um, information about the ANLP so that they've got that resource to go to? Yeah, of course. Um, our website is www.anlp.org. Um, that's always a really good uh, starting point. Um, we, do have our, good. we do have our contact details on there. Um, our office number is 020-3051-6740. And you can contact me on my email address, which is vision at anlp.org. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Karen. It's always a pleasure speaking to you and learning from you and the, how you share your experiences is honourable. really is. Thank you, Donna. It's a pleasure talking to you. And thank you to all of our audience for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about NLP, then tune in each week and also visit my website, www.donnablinston.com, where you'll be able to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Psychobabble, a straightforward, plain English guide to the benefits of NLP. Also visit theorganicview.com and sign up for our newsletter, which will keep you updated with the up-and-coming shows, guests and online workshops. The next live workshop is on the 23rd of March, starting at 12 noon Eastern, 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, where we'll discuss how NLP can be used to improve your relationships, both personally and professionally, learning NLP techniques that will enable you to see events and problems from multiple perspectives and find out what is really important to you in a relationship. So thank you everyone for tuning in and a huge thank you again to Karen. Bye. Bye.